Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Peter chapter 2? We've come now to verse 12. Actually, this, and we go through the end of the chapter here, this is a continuation of what Peter has already begun in the first part of this chapter, which is namely to encourage uh, believers, of course, to be strengthened as Christians and to live a life knowing that that life is on display in the world, displaying Christ in your life. He said just before this verse here that we should make our calling and our election sure. He mentioned a few things earlier that uh, might be seen in the lives of some. And he's telling the Christians that we're to live lives that are, are fruitful, that are productive, that obviously Christ is in us. And so his, his phrase, make sure that you are of the Lord, speaking to those who may feel comfortable in some kind of sinful lifestyle. Then he ends that verse 11, he ends that previous portion. Verse 11, he says, uh, doing this, you will know that you will be richly supplied with an entrance into the kingdom of our, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, into heaven. This is, this is, this is your, this is, these are your credentials. This is who you are. You, you've lived a life that is a Christian life that really only Christians can live by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that is with us and the spirit leading us, encouraging us into obedience to the word. Credentials, these are your credentials. So now, having just spoken about going to heaven, he continues, but the word therefore here, uh, the, the, the word that connects means that this, this what he says here, connects to that which is previously said. So thinking about the strength of your Christian life on display, that assurance is yours in Christ. You know then that your entrance to heaven has been richly supplied. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you concerning these things, even though you already know them and have been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. Ready to remind. This is one of the purposes of being in regular attendance to church, that we might be regularly reminded of things that we might overlook if we're not careful as, as Christians. Of course, we should have our personal Bible study as well. But then we have well-prepared Sunday school lessons. Um, we come to a time of learning more about the scriptures here uh, in this service. And we are taught some things that we may not have ever known. 
In addition, we are reminded of things that we've already been taught. A constant reading of the word, going through it over and over again, is never a waste of time. I can tell you from experience, you'll always, once you finish the scriptures one time through, and you start again, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you something that you didn't see before in a passage of scripture. You will deepen your knowledge. You will strengthen your relationship uh, with the Lord and that you would learn more about him. You've been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. So Peter continues, I consider it right as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up, to arouse you, to awaken you by way of reminder. Peter will use this word tabernacle again in just a second. We'll see it. And I'll talk more about that uh, when we get to that part. But let me focus here. It's right for me to remind you these things so that you can be awakened. Awakened by way of reminder. You know, I have certain TV series that I watch. I always find stuff wrong with it, but I watch it just so that I can sit in judgment over it. (laughs) But here's what happens. I'm in a recliner. I'm in a warm home. I have a constant supply of snacks and (laughs) Diet Coke. And here's what happens to me. I fall asleep. (laughs) And I, I, now I don't do that. Pat does this a lot. Sometimes we're watching something together. Okay, I can, she's gone. (laughs) I can, I can, we're watching this together. And, you know, we're both a barrel of laughs, right? We're just sitting there going, yeah. And if Pat falls asleep, Whenever we watch something together, she demands possession of the remote. (laughs) I have to surrender the remote. I'm sorry, guys. I just wimp out on that one. (laughs) And I'm interested in something. I haven't fallen. I'm watching this. I have seen it. And Pat has dozed off in maybe 10 minutes. And something will wake her up. Maybe something loud on the floor. Something will wake her up. She'll wake up. She'll look at it. And she'll see that she's obviously missed a great deal of the story. You know what she does? That was a female voice. She rewinds it. Now, I don't do that. You know, I said, well, I'll figure it out. I I, I think I can figure this out. No, she got to go back. I said, we just watched that. No, I didn't see it. Let me go back. I got to see this. Sometimes she'll miss a word. She did. What was that word? I don't know. What was that word? I don't know. Five. Finally, we just have to guess at what the word was. Well, let me tell you. Sometimes, unfortunately, and I've seen it through the years as a pastor. Christians from time to time need to be stirred up. They need to be awakened back to the wonderful things of the Lord. Now in the, in the immediate context, 
he is talking about our richly, abundantly supplied entrance into heaven. What a, what a great thought. He is writing to persecuted Christians. He is writing as a man who knows he's not going to live much longer. Talk about that in just a second. So he says, you know, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, it's right for me to awaken you, to stir you up by way of reminder. There are so many things that we just need to look at over and over again. So he continues in that and he says, knowing that the putting off of my tabernacle is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Here is a beautiful lesson of Christian death. In John 21, the Lord Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. You're a young man, you go where you want to, put on the clothes like you want to. When you're an old man, it's not going to be that way. You'll be taken where you don't want to go and you'll have clothes put on you and you'll die with your hands spread out. He's talking about this crucifixion that was the manner of death that uh, Peter suffered, upside down crucifixion. Peter now is under a lot of threat and intimidation from Nero, as is Paul, because they both die within a year and a half. They're both executed within a year and a half or so of each other by Nero, who is after the Christians. He's after Christianity. And this is one of the reasons to settle down those who are in the outer parts toward the eastern regions of the, of the Roman Empire. Big reason, Peter's writing first and second Peter. Think about it, he, he summarizes a lot of rich thoughts and things about Christianity that, that Paul writes about expansively in several letters. Paul more or less writes to the western part of the empire. Peter here writes to the eastern, the Christians who are in the eastern part uh, of the empire. And he said, you know, I have to keep reminding you, not going to always be here with you. He's one of the few Christians who knew that he wasn't going to live to see the coming of the Lord. I've lived all my life. Dreaming about, expecting, looking up every day, thinking that today Jesus Christ will come. Peter, however, had already been told he was going to die and it wasn't going to be pretty when he died. That's what he'd been told by the Lord. John chapter 21. So he's writing and he says, I have to remind you, I have to do this. I have to, I have to tell you these things knowing that the putting off of my tabernacle is imminent, imminent, tachne, uh, and tabernacle, skenomatos, uh, from skeno, it means a tent. Now let me tell you, here is how we should think of life as a Christian. We're just out camping. That's it. 
When I was 10 years old, I, I went out for the first time. Matter of fact, it was the only time. With uh, Boy Scouts. I was a Boy Scout. Oh, man. I was, I was uh, already a... Uh, uh, Tenderfoot primary. Maybe I was a primary or a second class. Anyway, I already had me a couple of pins and taking those tests, had my guidebook, you know. Had me a suit, a, a uniform. Had me an official backpack. Had me an official axe that had a hammer on one side, a little ha- I still got that thing. It's pathetic. You couldn't, you couldn't cut a, roach, a, a roach's head off with that thing. <laughs> But, you know, Boy Scouts. So my daddy took me to the place where you get all this stuff, and we were going to go on a camping trip. Never been on one in my life. I quickly add, I've never been on one since either. (laughs) My daddy and my mama, they weren't outdoors people. (laughs) My daddy told my mama when they got married because he did nothing but raise animals and shovel after animals and do all this barn all of his life. He was the youngest of 13. And I don't know if I should say this or not, but you know, that, that stuff rolls downhill and he was at the end of the hill. And so he had to shovel it all the time. That was his job. And he, I, I don't know. I was... I don't know how old I was when I finally got my daddy to get me a dog, a puppy. He hated animals. Well, he didn't hate animals. He just didn't have anything for them. He knew that <laughs> things happened with animals, you know. So he wanted the most modern things. He cared absolutely nothing about roughing it. That's how he grew up. He roughed it. His, he used to tell me his closet was a 10-penny nail on the back of a door. Well, I was so anxious. My little friends from school were talking about it. We were going to, Mr. Hillicky, our scoutmaster, was going to take us out in the woods, and we were going to go camping. And I had to have a pup tent. So I got a pup tent. I had all my official uniform and everything, and he told us to bring a potato, a raw potato with aluminum foil, and we were going to cook ourselves a potato on the campfire. (laughs) So here it comes. It's time for supper. I wrapped that thing up. Oh, and we had to bring some hamburger meat. So I had hamburger meat, potato, had them wrapped up in tinfoil, just threw them on the fire. I thought it'd take care of itself. Well, here's what happened. I had crust on the bottom of my hamburger and then just raw meat on top. That's all I had. And my potato had charred on one side, but it's just hard as a rock everywhere. I couldn't do anything with it. (laughs) Not even that hatchet worked. (laughs) And I was hungry, starving to death. Nobody had any mercy on me. And Mr. Hillicky didn't bring anything extra. 
So I was, I pouted the rest of the time through, tried to go to sleep in this tent. One of the top three most miserable nights of my life. No doubt about it. Cold. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I could not wait. I could not wait for my mama to come and get me. And get away from that. Now that's how we ought to look at life. I have a tent. And I'm in it. (laughs) But I don't like it. I can't wait till I get home. And that tent is not my home. Peter uses the word tent, tabernacle, tent, same thing. Putting it off will come shortly. It's imminent. Takane. It's shortly. It's imminent. It's, it's going to happen because Jesus made that very clear to me. I'm going to die. And I can see how I'm going to die because I'm seeing what the Caesar is doing to Christians everywhere. And he's after me because I'm the leader. He's after Paul because he's the leader. Putting off my tabernacle is imminent. I'll tell you about tents. I've seen them. I watch this stuff on YouTube. There's a big thing now, car camping. People like they have a Toyota minivan and they'll take some seats out of that thing. They'll cook in that thing. They'll sleep in it. I don't know. And they like to go where there's going to be a lot of snow. (laughs) It's crazy. Now see, I can... I can sit and watch television and hear Pat just there in the kitchen fixing what we're about to eat. And it's not uncomfortable. That's a a nice thing. But if you're out in a tent and you just stay in it all the time, let me tell you what's going to happen. Part of the tent is going to become threadbare. You're going to lose the threads. The flap of the tent is going to it's going to it's going to stretch and get loose. Now, some people, some people go and try to tighten their flaps. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's okay. I don't care. It's all right. But the flap is going to wear out one way or another. It's <laughs> the best way I know how to describe it. And you have, you have these stakes with ropes, and it's going to sag, isn't it? It's going to sag. You're gonna, if it rains, it's go, you're going to have to tighten. You're going to have to keep tightening that stuff because it gets saggy, and then it gets leaky. <laughs> now, when you get my age, you'll begin to understand the horrors of a well-used tent. (laughs) Peter, probably in his late 60s or so, writing this, I'm going to have to put off my tent. It's imminent. Paul writes about that in Philippians in chapter one. And he talks about to, to live as Christ, to die as gain, to stay with you. I'm in a strait betwixt the two, he said. I'm, 
to stay with you, which is better for you, or to depart. And I don't know how the Greek word means to strike the rope of the tent, to depart, which is far better, to strike the rope and let the tent fall. Paul uses the word tabernacle again in 2 Corinthians 5. And he said, we know that this earthly tabernacle is being broke down. It's being taken down. But God has given us a house, not made with hands, yonder in heaven, permanent, forever. Jesus said, now you know, Jesus, John chapter one, the word became flesh and eskenesin, tabernacled among us. It's the same word, same root word, a little different form. Jesus tabernacled among us. He knew, he knew that his purpose for putting on flesh was to, in the end of it, put off the flesh. Of course, which he did. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about that tabernacle that we have that's going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken down. But I have a house not made with hands. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many places. Manoi, it's King James translates it mansions, dwelling places. Heaven is described, the, the new Jerusalem is described as a an immense city that is 1,280 miles that way, that way, that way, and this way. And the wall is more than 200 yards high and 85 yards thick. It's Yaspis, which is diamond, a diamond wall. Gates of pearl by the oriental city standards would have been a third the size. So that would be a gate, three of them, and one gate would be more than 400 miles high, made of pearl, three, 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 and three. And the tallest of all of the structures in the middle was the throne room of the Lord. 1,280 miles high and coming out from under his throne is the fountain that births the river of life and it cascades its way down the city of gold and flows out such that in the use of the indefinite article, John says, a river of life, which means that finally Flowing down, it makes tributaries probably through each of those gates somehow and out into the paradisos, the paradise that surrounds the city. Now, somewhere in there, God Almighty, the Lord Jesus himself, has prepared a place for me and it is no tent the New Jerusalem is not a campground. Now don't, I mean, I suppose if you want to, when you get to heaven, 
You can walk out the gates and go out into the beautiful, plush surroundings of Paradisas, which I don't know how big will be, and, and go and set yourself up a tent, I suppose, if you want to. I'm not sure that you'll need a tent if you go out there. I don't know. But when we get to heaven, we have a permanent place. This is what Peter is saying. Your entrance into heaven is richly supplied to you. That's what he said in the previous verse. In verse 11. And so I want to remind you of the group because he's probably writing to some Christians who are going to die because they are Christians. Some of us may not be too far from that ourselves in this day. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, exodon, exodus is what we get the word from, after my exodus, my exit, you'll be able to make these things a lasting remembrance. Now, how does he say that? Well, we'll talk more about that in just a second. So how, how, how is it with a Christian? We take what Paul writes to the Philippians. We stir in a little of what he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. And we take here what uh, Peter says. And we project our thoughts to what Christ himself has said. And here is the thought. We should never ever think so highly of our present existence because we should always understand this is just a temporary thing. And as it goes along, it's, it's going to decay and finally die. Finally, somewhere along the way, the ropes of that tent will be stricken. They'll be cut down. That tabernacle, that tent will fall because the one who was in it will have exited. He will have made his exodus, his departure into the infinitely glorious place which Christ is preparing for us. This is how we view death. This, this, this lie, even Christ, Paul writes to the Philippians again in chapter two, talks about how Christ he did not think of this life or even, even, his, even his position previously in heaven. He didn't think it something that should be grasped at any cost. But he surrendered. He laid aside his glory and came and died the death, even the death of the cross. So that at the, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So then, here it is from Peter, who is about to experience it himself. Within two years, maybe less, of writing this, Peter will have been martyred. He will die. But he always knew this. And he always knew that life is just a, that human Flesh existence is just a temporary thing. That it, it finally wears out, breaks down, and is struck down, stricken down, struck down. 
because the one who is in it will have made his exodus. So it's not that when we talk about the death of a Christian, it is not that we would say he's dead or that he died. We would say he moved out. He moved on. He's gone somewhere else. He's not there anymore. Every one of us, except for, for uh, uh, Enoch and Elijah and except for the generation of raptured Christians, except for those people, every one of us has an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die. Peter's great charge in his heart from the Holy Spirit is to teach Christians that we need to die well. That was one of the main teachings of, I think it was Puritanism. Live to die well. We should understand that this is something that we should be constantly reminded of, as, as Peter said. We have a life that needs to be on display that would honor Christ, but we also need to understand that someday we'll make an exit it's just a temporary thing here. Can't be any other way. After my departure, you'll be able to make these things a lasting uh, remembrance. For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths or tales or fables, but having been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter writes to these who had never personally witnessed the life and power of Christ. Only by the teaching of the apostles could they be introduced. And then the abiding of the Holy Spirit to be the second witness to the truth of the gospel. An exterior witness, an internal witness. What is said is true. And it comes about by great conviction in a heart that otherwise is dead and could never know Christ, but from the power of God. What we have told you now today, really since the time of Christ, those who stand against Christ and his people his word will scoff at the gospel and the truths of the gospel and the Christian life and will declare from a dead heart that we're only listening to tales or fables that have been cleverly devised. Peter says, it's not true, but here's what is true. I saw him. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he goes on and talks about that. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a voice as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I have found delight. We heard this voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And there was one, there were three of them who bore witness to the transfiguration of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Christ is about to descend, having gone up there to pray with his disciples and to get away from this mass of people who were all messed up and were, and the people who were hating him and wanting to, to kill him and trying to confuse them. So he goes up, he wants to pray, and he takes three, Peter, James, and John, he takes three of them a little further in with him. And while he is there, majestic glory comes upon him. The glory, I'm sure, that was his from before the world ever was. They'll see it again at the ascension. And so, appearing, now that there's this little speck of heaven on earth, appearing inside that glory with the glorified one are Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets. And they questioned Jesus. They questioned the Son of God regarding his impending departure from Jerusalem. Can you think about that? In heaven, two of the greatest figures in the Old Testament are still wanting clarity regarding the death of God the Son. And so they're there asking Jesus, this question, and he appears as they had always known him in heaven. Peter, James, and John are there, and they're just, you know. And so Peter, like he always did, he, he, would, he ran his mouth, you know, he said dumb things. There was a guy dating a girl, a beautiful girl one time, and I'm not going to give names here, but he was so overwhelmed when he, came to, when he went to pick her up. She came to the door. He said, you are my density. Well, okay, my density. That, and you know, this is, this is Peter. He's saying, and he's putting Jesus on the same level with Moses and Elijah. Oh, this is good. Let's make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Just then, the father Boomed from heaven. Wait a minute. There's only one son of God here. There's only one whom you should follow. There's only one whom you should believe. This is my son. Hear him. I'm pleased with him. Listen in the context. It says, listen to him. We heard this voice. We were there with him on the holy mountain. So he's saying, I'm telling you about honor and glory. The honor and glory from God the Father that is bestowed upon God the Son. He saw it in the transfiguration. Not going to go into it now, but he saw it also in the ascension when they stood there gazing into heaven. Now, we have a more certain prophetic word. We have the word of God that bears witness to our spirit. We don't have a videotape of the event on transfiguration. Only three humans saw it and only three could speak to it from personal experience and having witnessed it. Only three 
So we don't, but we have the inspired word of God. We have a more certain prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of its own interpretation or the word means release, of its own release. For no prophecy was ever brought by the will of man, but men being carried by the Holy Spirit. Pheromenoi, uh, that, that's, a, that's a seafaring word, being carried along by a wind. Men being carried along by the Holy Spirit. They're the ones who spoke. And this Holy Spirit is from God. Now, what does that mean? No prophecy is of its own interpretation. You can't take a text out of context. It all has to stand together. My seminary professor used to say a text out of context is pretext. People will come to you with a message that's a part of a scripture or part of a verse or something. And uh, I heard a preacher one time preach on this phrase, beware the dogs. Now there's a, I think it's in Philippians. There's a passage of scripture. Beware the dogs. And he set off in this direction talking about the people in church. Some of them were like just an old cur and, and, and some of them were like a, a, a bulldog and some of them were like this and some of them, you know, well, beautiful thing to listen to. It had nothing to do with the context of scripture. No scripture can stand in and of itself. It's a, it's a beautiful woven tapestry that we seek to learn more and more about. Otherwise, this prophecy is, be, this prophecy is being brought by the will of a man. Well, it's, it, it's my desire to say something to these people, but I want to back it up with something. So I'm going to use this scripture. Well, that's wrong. You can see that. No prophecy ever brought by the will of man, but being carried by the Holy Spirit. Men being carried by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he came into this world to save sinners. Admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, call on him to save you. He'll save you, bound by his word to save you. Just a moment, we'll be dismissed in prayer. As you leave, you will see that there are deacons and wives standing in the doorways of a couple of rooms just as you exit. If God calls you to Christ today, step in there, let them pray with you. Maybe he's leading you into the membership of this church. They're prepared to speak to you about that as well. But for now, let's all stand together and uh, be dismissed in a word of prayer.